All right, everyone, welcome to another week of Toasty Kettle. I'm happy to be here today. My name is James. I'm your host. And today we're going to be talking all about pizza. More specifically, we're going to talk about Chicago-style pizza. Now, there is some debate out there on whether or not Chicago-style is actually pizza, but uh, I tend to be of the opinion that it is. And I lived in Chicago for about three months And during that three-month span, I tried quite a few. There was one that really stood out to me, and that was Lou Malnati's. With Lou Malnati's, they have great ingredients and a nice, flaky, buttery crust to hold everything together. And I fell in love with it. I ate probably more of it than I should have back at the time. So today I'm interviewing Meggie. And she's the brand ambassador with Lou Malnati's, and she's going to tell us all about Lou Malnati's Pizza, what makes it unique, and how they've been able to stand out throughout the years and continue to thrive in the Chicago area. Before we get to the interview with Maggie, I wanted to remind everyone to check out ToastyKettle.com. That's where I post recipes as well as the breakdown of all of these podcast episodes. So if you want a little bit more detail, links to the businesses that we're interviewing or the products that we're interviewing, then make sure you go and check it out at toastykettle.com. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe. Subscribing signs you up for my weekly newsletter, and that's where I share announcements, what's happening, as well as the recipe or two from the week, and the podcast episode for the week. So you'll get it all right there in your inbox in one place. I only send out one email a week. I won't spam you, so feel free if you're interested to sign up. When you sign up, you'll get a free PDF version of one of my favorite vintage cookbooks and it's a lot of fun to read and to see a little bit it gives you a little bit of a window into what life was like in 1881 so feel free again to subscribe and get your copy of that vintage cookbook and now our interview with Maggie all right well first I wanted to say thank you for being willing to be interviewed today. I lived in the Chicago area for about three months for training for work. And Lou Malnati's was the first place that I went when I rolled into town. And I absolutely loved it. It was really amazing. So they've kind of been my favorite of the ones that I've tried out there in the area. What would you say is the history with Chicago style pizza and also with Lou Malnati's? Um, well, uh, Lou Malnati has been around since 1971. Um, our founder, Lou Malnati, um, got his start actually at a different pizzeria, Pizzeria Uno, um, working there with his father. Um, and then uh, after working there for quite a long time, um, his father and his business partner had decided they were going to sell the business. Um, so Lou decided to venture off on his own, and he opened up our first location um, in Lincolnwood, which is a northern suburb of Chicago. Um, and that is kind of how we got our start. What would you say makes 
Lou's different from other pizza places in the area? I think the the biggest difference between Lou's and other places is um, that we've maintained a level of consistency and quality over the years that as other businesses have changed owners or new businesses have come and older businesses have closed and all of that, like we've been just a solid contributor giving the people and our customers the same pizza year over year, week after week, day after day. Um, I think that having the Malnati family still running the business um, is, is what allows that to happen. So I think that the, the consistency and the quality and the tradition of what we do stays the same, which not many places do for almost 50 years. That's what I've noticed a lot when, when businesses become established and popular and then they start branching out into you know different locations the quality tends to drop. And I've noticed that with several restaurants around here. And, uh, you know, only being in Chicago for about three months, that was, I I didn't have a large sample size or time period to go through all the different and how they've evolved over the years and and things like that. But um, I, I did know that not all of them were created equal. I mean, we we hold the bar really high for ourselves and our customers help us hold that bar high. So we, we, even though we are a growing business, we, we only grow as fast as we're able to so that we never jeopardize our quality. For people that, for people that might not be familiar with Chicago style pizza, what would you say uh, makes a Chicago style pizza, you know, Chicago? Well, um, for one, we treat it a little bit more like a, a meal. Um, you know, it takes time to make. It takes about 30 minutes for our pizzas to, to get made. So, you know, it's a, it's a meal that's, that isn't um, instant, which allows people to sit down together, to eat a meal, like have courses, have an appetizer before your pizza comes out, have a salad, talk, communicate with one another. It kind of just has that that family traditional feel just because you have to wait for it. Um, I think that if you want to get into just the logistics of the pizza, even that, you know, we do it differently than um, traditional pizza, so to speak, where we have our, our dough and then the next layer is the cheese. And then we put sausage or whatever other toppings on top of that. And then the tomatoes go on top, on the very top. So, um, you know, that, if you want to call it backwards from traditional pizza, we don't think it's backwards. We think it's just right. But um, it is uh, in a little bit different order than a traditional pizza. Right. Um, You know, I'm someone that from time to time has been known to have a big appetite. And uh, I'll go into a pizza place and I'll eat a lot of the pizza, you know, half or three quarters or, you know, whatever. And so when I sat down with my first Chicago style pizza, I, I was expecting to do the same and that's just, (laughs) that's not going to happen. They're very, they're very dense and rich. And like you said, it is more like a meal where it's, you slow down the experience. The pace is different from what you'd experience with other pizzas. And I, I think that there is definitely some charm to that, that in, in the world today, when you go out to dinner, it's so it's get in, get out as fast as you can. And and maybe you'll get a bite in between. And, uh, when 
I went to lose, you know, sitting down, it, it was very much like you described. You, you, the, the natural pace of the mill caused you to slow down and enjoy the experience more and enjoy the company that you're with a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's exactly right. Take, you can't fold it up and eat it on the go. You know, it forces you to sit down and enjoy it and grab a knife and fork. How has Lou Malnati's changed over the years, or have they changed over the years? I think the great thing is we haven't that much. Um, you know, things, um, when it comes to our pizza, we, 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 we don't modify it unless it's something that helps us improve our consistency. You know, it's not to say that we don't ever change any practices at all, but if we do, it's because they actually allow us to make it better or more consistent. Um, but I think that's what people love us is I think because we, we give them the same product time after time. Um, and I think that's comforting to people and I think it's also enjoyable to people. I think there's power in that consistency, particularly when you have, you know, you look at national chains where they're always coming out with new combinations or new crust styles. And uh, I think it is refreshing to have a place where you know what you're going to get. And it's been the same for decades. So getting the start from, from reading online, there were, uh, was it the first location or was it the second location that was being impacted by the, the construction? Um, it was actually our second location. Okay. So, you know, a lot of times when a business will open, it's, it's normal to face adversity or to have setbacks. And from reading that history with that second location, a lot of people were thinking that they should close it and they decided to hold on to it and, and wait and get through the road construction. And then they expected business to be back. What does that say about, about Lou Malnati's with that, uh, that perseverance or that determination to, to survive and then thrive? Um, well, I think a lot of that has to do with, if you look back at what was going on in our company at that time, um, Lou Malnati has unfortunately passed away. Um, he actually passed away um, pretty early on in the history of the company in around 78. Um, and so, you know, that wasn't the only location that early on hit some bumps in roads or bumps in the road. Um, you know, there was that location that I had construction. A couple of years later, we had a location in River North, which isn't the River North that you know today in Chicago. Um, it, was, it was a little bit of an off the beaten path. It wasn't, you know, the best place to open, but we tried it. Immediately we were hit with construction there, which people couldn't get to us or find us. Um, we had a location in Flossmoor we actually opened um, and is the only location we have ever closed. Um, and we actually recently, in the last four years, reopened there. And that was kind of a, a, a great um, feeling to kind of go back there and reopen in the town that we kind of were forced to close. What happened with that location was um, the site was selected pretty far away from our home base here um, that was here in, in the North Shore area, Lake uh, Lincolnwood. Um, that kind of thing. And um, Lou got sick right after, right after, um, and ultimately lost this battle of cancer. And, you know, his son Mark, who runs the company today, 
um, was young. He was just out of college, and he would join the family business, and he was trying to kind of keep this afloat. And, um, you know, to answer your question uh, that you asked originally, just in regards to, like, how what that shows about the, the organization or the people, it shows a lot. I think that experience was was painful, and I think um, it's hard enough losing a parent, but to also be trying to carry on a legacy and, and all of that, I think that that was really a hard time. And so I think there was a lot of satisfaction in going back there and opening up, and I, I can say that I've heard Mark talk about this often, and um, he spoke about how much that was a learning um, for him, as painful as it was, and it just reinforced that he had a lot to learn, and he dedicated himself after that to learning everything he could about site selection so that he'd never make a mistake like that again. And I think that, you know, he, he did that. I think he invested in it. I think he learned it. I think he became an expert in it. I think he also, um, the, the relationships there, he paid back every vendor we owed when that location closed. Um, you know, we were in some debt uh, at the time because of it, and he maintained those relationships and made good on all of them. So I think it said a lot about him, you know, this challenging occurrence, um, but it, it kind of did show exactly what he was made of. Yeah, from other interviews that I've done, that that seems to be a trend in any business or where you are going to have adversity and the the businesses, the organizations that stick around are the ones that find a way to get through it and learn from it. And I, I think there's a, a powerful message in that. Another thing that's really unique about uh, a Lumilnati's pizza is the tomatoes that go on top. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So we use um, a tomato sauce that is not pureed. It still has the whole chunks of Roma tomato in it. Um, and they come from California, and every year and every August we send a team out there um, of experts within our company who go out and are there tasting, um, touching, viewing the crops, and just kind of waiting until they're at their their best moment um, to pull the trigger and say, okay, go, and all then within that, like within those six hours, all of the tomatoes for our entire year across all of our pizzerias, our frozen business, um, are pulled from the vines and then canned um, with, you know, zero processing or any additives um, and, and canned for our exclusive use for the whole year. And I, I will say that's something that, you know, I can definitely tell a difference between other other pizzas in the area that it, it has a more fresh and bright flavor to it that I really like. And and when you're eating something that's so dense and so rich, like having that, that, that pop to it was really refreshing. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're super sweet. They're super tasty and you could almost eat them just, you know, raw and like candy. My, my last question that I have, you know, I'm obviously a huge fan of Chicago style pizza and I absolutely think that it's pizza but, you know, different regions around the country, they have their ideas of what pizza is, and they all seem to have one thing in common. They don't seem to think that Chicago-style pizza is actually pizza, and they view it more like a, a casserole or something like that along those lines. What do you have to say about that? 
Well, I mean, call it what you want. I mean, we think it's pizza. We think it's it's a take on pizza. It's a variation of pizza. Um, so, yeah, I mean, people can, can say what they want about it. There's a lot of things to be said about it. We think it's a bigger meal. We think it's more filling. We think, you know, not to be comparative in, in a mean-spirited way, but it's just, it, it's it's certainly a pizza variation. Um, but, you know. You don't spend too much time worrying about people want to call it something else, like a casserole lasagna. Well, I mean, all the components are there, right? <laughs> right. The big misconceptions about deep dish is just that it's this, like, thick, bready thing. And, you know, there might be purveyors out there who is, there's, is like that. But ours, ours, it's not like that. You know, we have a really flaky, thin, buttery crust, and... What makes and it, it's served in a in a pan in a deep dish pan, um, and it's got these thick layers of cheese and you know um, our sausage layer can be thick. So it's kind of all the ingredients that that make it thick. It's not it's not thick because of like a, a, a thick bready layer. And I think that that's what people tend to think of um, because there's some people who have made it that way. Um, but I think what people are most surprised when they do try ours is just that like the the crispiness of our crust and how it's the perfect amount of every piece of ingredient, the perfect amount of cheese mixed with the perfect amount of whatever your topping might be, whether that's sausage or vegetables and, and, and the perfect amount of dough. Now with the sausage pizza, do you all still patty it like across the entire pizza? Yeah, it's not a patty. I mean, a lot of people seem to think that we literally just put a whole patty on there, but it's put on piece by piece. Um, so it's, something that you can order it also custom. So some people do easy sausage, some people do heavy. Um, so since it's put on piece by piece, we can kind of control that. Um, but we strategically put it on piece by piece and spread it out so that there is room for cheese to kind of bubble up between it um, and, and create it. But we do hear that a lot, that people are like, oh, you do, whether they're saying it negatively or positively, like, I love that that sausage patty you put on there and it's like well it's not really <laughs> <laughs> i guess i guess for me it's the way they it, the way it cooks up when you're eating it that's almost what it, it seems like because the the texture and everything but it, it i mean i absolutely love it that way because the one thing i love about eating pizza are all the toppings that go on top of it and with that you get a bite of sausage in every bite and and i mm-hmm. think that's absolutely amazing mm-hmm Yeah, it's a nice little symphony of flavors. Well, if that doesn't make you hungry, I don't know what will. Again, I wanted to give a special thanks to Maggie for making herself available for the interview and for sharing her knowledge and information about Lou Malnati's Pizza with us. If you're in the Chicago area, make sure you check them out. I promise you, you'll have a good time. This week's recipe, I'm going to revisit an old recipe that I posted. I posted this one about uh, six months or so ago. So it was last year. And this is my sourdough bread recipe. With this recipe, I made a starter that was completely out of wheat flour and water. And the the bread itself, it just contains water, whole wheat flour, and salt. And then, my, of course, my starter. So 
I like to call it three ingredient sourdough bread because the only ingredients in there are the wheat flour that's in the starter, the water, and then the wheat flour that's in the bread dough, and then of course salt for some flavor. I was really fascinated by this concept of sourdough bread. I like to eat somewhat healthy every once in a while. And when it came to bread, I wanted to have a little bit of a challenge. I wanted to make a bread that didn't have any nasty unknown ingredients in it. If you walk down the grocery store aisle, grab any loaf of bread, there's a good chance that it's going to have 15 to 20 ingredients in there and that you won't even be able to pronounce half of them. Now, I don't want this to turn too much into a health show, but, uh, you know, when it comes to bread, it's one of those things that should be fairly basic. What I've managed to accomplish is a sourdough bread that really only takes three ingredients. On ToastyKettle.com, you'll be able to find the recipe for the bread as well as my method for the starter. I use the King Arthur flour method. However, with their method, they have you slowly transition out of the whole wheat flour as your starter gets going and you turn uh, you, you transition to a, a white flour. I just continued to use a whole wheat flour through the whole process and it's worked just fine. I have a very active starter that works really well. This recipe is something that even kids will like. My son and my niece, they can't get enough of it. Anytime I make it, they get excited and it quickly becomes one of their favorite snacks. Now, one thing that I've learned about sourdough bread is it can be a little temperamental. It's definitely not the easiest thing to cook, but honestly, if I can do it, I think anyone can do it. The big thing is that it's going to take a little bit longer for things to rise. I'm using the starter as the leavening agent. I'm not using any yeast to help out or to speed up the process. Now, you know, of course you could add some yeast in there if you wanted to, and you'll get a better rise on it. But uh, I like to let the starter do its thing for a couple hours, and, and it tends to rise up pretty good. I don't have incredibly dense bread afterwards. Now, the reason why I'm talking about sourdough is I've been looking through a lot of vintage recipes lately, and I've been finding a lot of sourdough recipes, sourdough cake, sourdough donuts, sourdough bread. So I'm really excited to tap back into my starter and and start making some of these different recipes with my starter outside of just the standard sourdough bread. Now, the other thing I wanted to mention is as I've been working with my starter, I've started to get to know it a little bit. Starters can be fairly forgiving, okay? A lot of people, when they start thinking about sourdough bread and and starters and everything, it could be a little bit overwhelming that you're going to have to have this thing now that you're going to have to take care of every single week, almost like a pet. You can never leave town because you have to keep it fed, etc., Well, with my starter, the past few months, I haven't been the best at keeping it fed, and it's definitely suffered as a result, but anytime I go to use it, if I've kept it in the fridge, it generally will take a few days of feeding it again, going through the feeding process, and it tends to 
pop right back into in into shape where it's an active starter again. So it does take a little bit of effort to revive the starter, but it's not that big of a deal to keep it going. And in the end, you're then able to make all these amazing sourdough recipes as well as my three ingredient sourdough bread. Well, that's all I have for you today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a business or restaurant in your area that's been open for a long time and has contributed to food history in some way, I want to know about it. I want to try to interview them. So please shoot me an email, toastykettle at gmail.com. With the information there, you can also submit that online at toastykettle.com. Make sure you follow us on social media. We're on all of the, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And if you like the show, make sure you tell your friends and family about it and leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next week. Mm -hmm.